0: Uh, any year probably that any of us have ever lived through i think that's safe to say that right 2020 has been very has been very different and it's caused us to evaluate not only what is important to us but the way in which we live and move and even celebrate holidays 2020 is different and we experienced that truth just on thursday right Thanksgiving is usually a day when uh, a large number of family and friends are gathered around a table where you spend hours and hours, maybe even days, preparing the house and preparing food to have people over so you can celebrate the things that you are thankful for. Not only the people who are surrounding the table with you, but also for all of the blessings that God has given you. And yet I don't think any of our Thanksgivings really looked like that, at least looked like the way that they usually do. Because of all of the restrictions, many of us had to just have Thanksgiving with a very small group away from most of our family. And I know for sure that most of us didn't prepare the way that we usually do. And all of that got me thinking as I was waking up on Friday morning, how is 2020 and the world in which we live, how is that going to affect the way we prepare for Christmas? As I was waking up out of my turkey coma on Friday morning, I I stumbled upon this interview of a woman who was talking about her Thanksgiving experience. By and large, this interview was incredibly sad. I mean, almost bring you to tears kind of sad because here you have this lady who is in her 70s who for the last 40 years has hosted a massive Thanksgiving for her family that now numbers into the 50s. Like like great-great-grandchildren kind of numbers. And all along, this is the thing that she prepares for and looks forward to every single year. But but this year, she can only celebrate with one other person her sister who lives with her. No family, no usual preparations, no barely any food. And by and large, this this interview was incredibly sad. But at the very end of this interview, there was a twinge of hope. She was hoping that somehow Christmas would be different, hoping that it would at least be very different than what Thanksgiving was like. And she said this. She said to the interviewer, look, I can't tell the future. I have no idea what Christmas is actually going to be like, but I can only hope. I can only hope that I will be able to gather with at least a larger number of my family members. And in that hope, you know what? I'm still going to prepare. I'm still going to put up the tree. I'm still going to adorn it with lights and ornaments. I'm still going to wrap gifts for for much of my family and place them under the tree. Because it's all of this preparation that is what's going to make Christmas feel somewhat the same. At least the same as it has been in the years past. We understand that woman's sentiment, don't we? None of us want to have a Christmas that was like this Thanksgiving was, devoid of family. I'm not saying it was devoid of joy or hope or anything, but it certainly was different from what we're used to experiencing. We want Christmas to be the, like the way we usually celebrate Christmas. And so you know what we're all going to do? If you haven't started already, we're going to prepare. I, as a kid, I've been fascinated with all of the different ways that people prepare for Christmas because all of these preparations, especially I see this as an adult now, all of these preparations tend to turn into traditions. One of those ways that, one of those preparations that turned into a tradition for my family was the annual gathering of the Christmas tree. From the time that we were really young, my parents would put us in warm clothing and, and shove us in the van and we'd go off to the tree farm. And if we were lucky, there would be a, a blanket of snow on the ground in Michigan. And if you know anything about the weather in the Midwest, you know, we were lucky pretty much every year because the weather is awful starting then. So anyway, we traipse around the, the entirety of the tree farm looking for the perfect tree. And when we find one, my dad would lift up the branches and help us cut down the tree with a bow saw. We'd throw it on our van and then we'd get home. And inevitably, I, I can remember this every single year, my parents would pick out a tree that was cut five feet too tall for our already 10 foot ceilings. So then we have to spend time cutting down the tree or, or trimming it down. And then we'd stick it in the stand and then all of my family would gather around the tree and we'd adorn it with lights and ornaments and tinsel and gingerbread men and any other number of things that my mom would find to keep us busy. These are, these, that preparation became part of a big tradition in our fond memories that I have preparing for Christmas as a kid. How is it that all of you prepare? I've no doubt that as I was telling that story about the fond memories I have of preparing for Christmas, that you are all thinking of one. Maybe there are funny memories connected to it. Maybe you have already started preparing for Christmas, like maybe this past weekend, setting up a tree. Or maybe you've started preparing for Christmas long before Thanksgiving, because let's be honest, there are those of us in the congregation who love to have the Christmas tree up as soon as Halloween ends, right? How do you prepare for Christmas? During this time of the year, it's really easy to get caught up in the hustle and bustle of all of these preparations that we have to make, right? It's really easy to get caught up in the commercialism and the materialism with Black Friday, albeit a, a different kind of Black Friday is behind us and now Cyber Monday is ahead of us. It's easy to get caught up in trying to pick out the right gift for the right person in your family or sometimes if you're like me, buying something for myself and wrapping it and placing it under the tree, saying it's from Andy. You know, it's like, you, it's easy to get caught up in that kind of preparation and that kind of commercialism. And then there are the travel plans or preparing your house to receive guests. There's the trees and the lights. All of these preparations are good. In the right light, they are God-pleasing. These preparations tend to be ways in which your family gathers to spend time with one another. They're memory creators. There's one thing, though, that all of these preparations have in common. There's a thread that holds all of them together. Do you know what that is? They are all outward preparations. They're all preparations that happen outwardly. There's a danger that lies within these outward preparations that is spending so much time putting up the tree and the, and the lights and procuring the gifts that those things, those kind of outward preparations can eclipse the real reason why we are actually preparing, creating the travel plans and and preparing to receive guests into your home can supersede why you are actually having guests or traveling to see family in the first place. Because these outward preparations, while they are important, they're good things. They can be God pleasing aren't the kind of preparations that God calls us to have. But God calls us as we begin the season of Advent, this season that means coming, as we concentrate on the coming of Jesus born in Bethlehem and the second coming of God's Son back in glory, God wants us to not prepare outwardly but to prepare inwardly. He wants us to have a preparation that starts right here, that starts in our hearts. The whole season of Advent is really about this kind of preparation, isn't it? And you heard that all throughout the first half of the service, didn't you? You heard it in the gathering rite where we sang that song, I will wait for you, Lord. You heard that in all of the, the readings. You heard that in the, even in the O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, where, where you are singing a prayer that God would come quickly. All of this is preparing your hearts for the kind of thing that God wants you to prepare for, namely the coming of his son. And how fitting is it on the first Sunday in Advent that we look at the way in which God prepared his people for the coming of the, or the beginning of his son's ministry. And to do that, we are going to look, look at that through the lens of Mark chapter 1. So if you have noticed uh, all last year almost, we exclusive, almost exclusively used the Gospel of Matthew. Whenever you switch a church year, so this year we are in year B, you switch a gospel. So this year, instead of looking at things through the lens of the Gospel of Matthew, we are going to use the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 1, as he begins to talk about this preparation that John the Baptist came to make, he begins with two prophecies from the Old Testament, one from Micah and one that you heard about from Isaiah chapter 40. God says through his prophets, I will send my messenger ahead of you to prepare a way for you, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. I already kind of spoiled it, but who was the one that was to be doing the preparing? It was John. John the Baptizer. Now, John is kind of an enigmatic man, isn't he? He lives this nomadic lifestyle out in the desert. He has a a garment made of camel's hair clothing, and if you've ever touched camel hair, you know how incredibly itchy and coarse it is. And then he also eats a very odd diet, a diet of locusts and wild honey, probably really healthy for you, to be honest. But no matter how enigmatic and his lifestyle and his way of dressing or his diet was, his job was anything but enigmatic because his job was a job that was prophesied by God 700 years before, before John or Jesus were ever born. His job was to be the messenger, to be the harbinger who prepared the way for the coming of God's son. He was to be the voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And so how is it that John was going to prepare the way for the Lord? Well, in ancient times, it was it was commonly it was, it was a common practice for a king to send a herald into cities ahead of him, where this king was going to visit. And the job of this herald or this messenger was simple: clean up the city, make sure that it looks nice, make sure the streets are cleaned up, make sure the people clean up their act, so that the city is fit for a king. Right, this was John's job. John's job was to prepare the way for the Lord, but John couldn't give a lick about preparing city streets. He wasn't concerned about outward appearances. The kind of appearances that John was considered or was concerned about was inward appearances. An appearance that you can't see, which makes it not really an appearance at all, right? John was concerned with inward preparation, with a preparation that starts with your heart, with the people of God's heart in the first century A.D. And the way in which John did this was by using a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance has everything to do with inward preparation. Now, sure, there are results that come out of repentance, namely outward actions that are moved by your repentant heart, but repentance, by and large, it's all focused right here. It all starts with the heart, and it's incredibly important that we as Christians understand the nature of and the reason for repentance, because if we misunderstand that, well, then not only do we misunderstand our God, but we misunderstand the kind of preparation that our God wants us to have. Preparation doesn't, has barely anything to do with outward appearances. It, or repentance has barely anything to do with outward appearances. But if repentance had something to do with outward appearances, do you know who, who would have been held up as models for repentance? It would have been the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Because these were men who lived their entire lives solely concerned about outward preparation, solely concerned about what they did and how good they looked to other people and how good they looked to God. And yet, you know what Jesus says about these religious leaders? Or what he calls them to their face, he calls them whitewashed tombs. You know what that means? Outwardly, religious leaders, you look really, really good, but inwardly, totally dead. See, repentance—it has very little to do with outward appearances or outward preparation. It also, repentance also has nothing to do with, or very little to do with simply knowing that you have to repent. It's more than just having simple head knowledge about something because if repentance had a lot to do with knowledge that you hold in your head, do you know who would have been held up as models for repentance? It would have been all of Israel because all along Israel knew that they needed to prepare prepare the way for the Lord. They They knew that God had promised for so long that his Messiah was going to come, that there was going to be someone brought into this world who was going to save them from their sins. And yet when God moved heaven and earth and took on flesh and blood, do you know what Israel was doing? Most of Israel anyway. They were sleeping. They weren't prepared. Repentance—the kind of inward preparation that God calls us to have—that has very little to do with outward appearances. It has—it has very little to do with just knowing that you should prepare. Repentance, simply put, is a 180-degree turn of both your heart and mind. It is something that starts here, and it is necessary for it to start here. But I suppose I haven't given you a really good definition for what repentance is yet. We've talked a lot about what it's not, but What is repentance? It's a recognition of and a turning away from your sin and turning to Jesus. The inward preparation that John is calling both first century people and 21st century people to have starts with a recognition of our own sinfulness. The fact that we are a people who cannot on our own live up to the standard of perfection that our God demands of us. You look at the law of God, and even just this morning, you hold the, you hold that law of God up to your life, and you realize that you've broken it probably multiple times between the time that you woke up and the time you arrived here in church. We are a people who cannot keep the holy law of God, and cannot, on our own, do anything to solve that issue. This is the first part of this inward preparation, the first part part of repentance. It's a recognition of and a turning away from your sin. But there are two parts to repentance. It's also a turning toward Jesus, trusting in Him alone as the only one who can actually deal with your sins. During all of the outward preparations that you and I make for Christmas, and we make a lot of them, during the outward preparation that you and I make for Christmas, it can be really easy to let this inward preparation just sit on the back burner for a while. You can come up with a whole list of excuses as to why that might be, why you don't want to. Uh, inwardly prepare, but I think it all comes down to this. Nobody likes to be told they're sinful. Nobody likes to recognize that they're sinful. Uh, Nobody likes to be told that they're sinful during this time that is supposed to be filled with joy and peace and happiness and hope. Nobody likes that. Nobody does at all, including myself. And pretty soon that inward preparation that your God, that God's messenger, John the Baptist, calls us to have gets put in a box with all of those ornaments that are too ugly to place on your Christmas tree. Right, and if you and I, if you and I refuse to prepare inwardly for the coming of God's Son, do you know what we are essentially saying to God? We are saying that I'm not sinful, therefore I don't need forgiveness, therefore I don't need the message of your messenger John the Baptist that says repent, and I don't need your Son. And if you say all those things, do you know what do you know what Christmas becomes? Just another Hallmark commercialized holiday. It loses all of its meaning and purpose. You know what? God, he he didn't send his messenger with a a message of repent for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near for people who are perfect. Because nobody is. God didn't send his messenger with a, a message that said, that said, prepare the way for the Lord to people who are sinless because those people don't exist either. God sent his messenger with a message to people who are sinful, who are in need of a savior, to show them, to point them forward to the one who would live and die and rise for them. And after he baptized, after he baptized with this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, John pointed them forward to just that. In the Judean wilderness to all of Jerusalem in the Judean countryside, John proclaims, that there is one who is more powerful that is coming after him, the thongs of whose sandals he is not worthy to untie. John says, I baptize with water. But the one who comes after me, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. This whole time, John is just serving as a messenger. He wants none of the glory for himself. Rather, he just wants to carry out his job, preparing people like you and you and me, preparing their hearts for the coming of God's Son. John is pointing people forward to the baby who will be born in Bethlehem, who will live and die for them to save them from their sins. So he says, prepare because the Lord is coming. Prepare, prepare inwardly, prepare your heart, repent and turn away from your sins and turn to Jesus. Now, it's really important that you and I understand that the, that the repentance that God calls us to have it's not something we do for God as though he will look more favorably on us as we do, if we do. It's not, it's not like it's some sort of sacrifice that we offer up to God because we think that by doing this, by repenting, that he will, he will forgive our sins more and more. That's not why we do it. In fact, sinful human beings on our own could never do it. Because the sinful mind and the sinful heart is completely and totally hostile to God. And if it were not for the word of God and the sacraments that he gives us, we would never be made aware of our sin and we would never know our need for a savior. You see, God, he works this repentance in your heart through a messenger. Through the message of his word. And through that messenger of John the Baptist, he says, repent. He says, turn away from your sin and turn to me, the only one who can deal with your sin. God says to each and every one of you, turn to me, turn to me and you will find the forgiveness of sins that that baby born in Bethlehem won for you. He says, turn to me because all of those deep valleys that you have dug yourself by sinning and sinning and sinning, I've pulled you out of them and I have made them level. All of those mountains of guilt that is created by your sin that you carry around in your heart, I have leveled them, and I've made a straight path for you to walk. Of those crooked paths in your life that are filled with the pursuit of sin, I have made them straight and they are all paths that lead to me. Turn to me. Repent and turn to me, your God says to you. Because when you do, you will find the full and free forgiveness of sins and peace and joy that lasts. This was the message that John was using to prepare the way for the Lord. It was a message that showed people Time and again in the Judean wilderness, that the word of God was moving, that Jesus was coming and his footsteps could be heard. And so John continuously cried out, just like I am crying out to you this morning prepare the way for the Lord, prepare your hearts every single day. You know, as I was listening to that interview on Friday, my pastoral heart was made incredibly sad. And it wasn't because she couldn't experience. Thanksgiving with her family. I think most of us experience that. My sadness came in when I heard about her hope for Christmas, that she hoped Christmas would be the same this year as it was the last couple of years. And did you recognize what she was placing her hope in to make Christmas the same? All of her outward preparations—the tree and the lights and the gifts and the food and the preparation of the house. This is what she was hoping would make Christmas the same and I wish I could reach out and tell her you're in for a whole world of disappointment. if That is what you're hoping and to make Christmas the same. You know, brothers and sisters in Jesus, you don't struggle in, in that same way. You don't have to hope that Christmas will be the same. You know it will be because you know that your, that Christmas and you know that Christmas doesn't, doesn't rely on all of your outward preparations, all of the lights that you put up and the, the trees you have adorning your house and the gifts you place under them. No, Christmas remains the same because 2,000 years ago, in a small city outside of Jerusalem, God took on flesh and blood to be your Savior. This is what makes Christmas the same. And so as we continue our outward preparations for Christmas, I want to remind you To remember first and foremost to prepare inwardly, to prepare inwardly to repent and to turn to Jesus, anticipating not only celebrating the birth of God's Son, but anticipating the day when Jesus will come again. Repent and turn to your God, because in him you will find the forgiveness of sins, unparalleled peace, and unending joy. God grant it. Amen.